Recorded live.
therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me. For I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning saying thank you. Thank you for one more day. Thank you for keeping us this far. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done and all you're going to do today. Thank you. 
here on your early Sunday morning gospel program, Morning Inspiration. interprets the word for their own particular time, place, and experience. The word is a living thing, and it will live well beyond our lives. The word is a stream which moves, not a stream stagnant and frozen in place. Our understanding of the word, our interpretation of it, is not the final say. These texts will not be tied down, even by us. That's Brad Sherrill, and today he brings you a very special message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thanks, Sherry. Today on a special day one, we're delighted to welcome Brad Sherrill, whose one-man word-for-word performance of the Gospel of John has been performed over 600 times in theaters and churches throughout the United States and abroad. Brad also performs other one-man multimedia shows, including Prophets, which includes prophetic texts in the Bible, and Red Letter Jesus, a performance of Jesus' words from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Brad is a longtime member of Shambly First United Methodist Church in Shambly, Georgia. Brad, welcome to day one. Peter, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I think you're the first professional actor to speak on our radio program since Michael York read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, on a series of Protestant Hour programs back in the early 80s. But how did this work come about for you? You know, Peter, it began devotionally. Um... I walked out on my front porch uh, 12 years ago and began to memorize the prologue to the Gospel of John Hmm. just as an exercise. And I kept going and kept going and kept going. Four and a half months later, uh, Hmm. doing relatively nothing else, I had the text inside of me. So now 12 years from that moment, I can sense that God was uh, asking me to come closer a real relationship with God, and the way that it was going to be done was by uh, taking the text inside of me. So I never planned or envisioned what I have been doing for the last 12 years, which is publicly sharing what I've begun on my front porch. And as you can imagine, it transformed my faith. Uh, Up to that point, I had, as you said, grown up in the church, uh, went to church, read the Bible sporadically, and I put this in quotation marks, I believed. Mm -hmm. But until I had the Gospel of John inside of my mind and had studied it inside of my heart and then been fortunate enough to go all over the country and proclaim it uh, in front of people, in front of communities, the Gospel wasn't real to Mm -hmm. me. It wasn't as real as you sitting across from me right now. So it was a great gift to me, a great gift that really transformed my journey of faith. 
So after nine years performing John's Gospel, you began doing Prophets. Tell us about that presentation and why you chose to do it. Yeah, you know, I said um, I'd have to be equally kind of led to take other texts inside. I just didn't want to become the Bible guy. <laughs> they kept going around, you know. And a uh, pastor friend of mine said, have you have you spent much time in the prophetic text? And so I spent a couple of uh, year reading over them. And just like everything else in the Bible, they were incredibly urgent and relevant to us now. <laughs> and the prophetic text, while not always easy to hear, gave me great hope. They convict, and they also inspire and uh, allow us to shift our lens the way we view the world because uh, they're offering an alternative vision, God's vision, mm -hmm. for, for the kingdom of God. And this was a, a, a performance that we introduced multimedia into because I thought it was helpful because the prophets see things, and so I wanted the audience to see things as well. And also, um, you know, idols are a big problem mm -hmm. for God and uh, the, the prophets. And so what might our modern idols look like? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I don't think they've changed all that much. So the video work does some wonderful juxtapositions because we see the golden calf um, from Moses' time, and then that just kind of morphs into the Wall Street mm -hmm. bull. And so, you know, we have greed and we have uh, not uh, taking care of our neighbors and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and also the prophetic texts are important to me because they're the texts Jesus knew. Mm -hmm. uh, they were his bread and butter. These are the texts he knew. He did not have the New Testament. So he was quoting them uh, often. So it really fed into my relationship with Jesus as well. And I'm also intrigued by your presentation, Red Letter Jesus, which has to be a powerful experience. How do folks respond to hearing the words of Jesus in that way? Oh, eh, did he really say that? Hmm. You know, because his words, if we we hear, you know, most of them put together are just as radical and scandalous, some of them, as they ever were. You know, what led me to doing just the words of Jesus was that I feel that uh, so many times we're preached about Jesus, and we sometimes neglect what he preached. And so, you know, I see, uh, you know, people are challenged by his words. Did he mean it? Did he mean what he said? This is the question. To love our enemies. Mm -hmm. To He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Well, what are we to make of that, Peter, in 2012? Really? Mm -hmm. And this is what it's going to cost to follow me. So uh, they're stunning. They're stunning words. And so people really have a great response to it. Um, you know, they're moved and they're, they're challenged. And the Red Letter Jesus also involves multimedia my partner and I, Mark Hickman, went uh, to Israel and Palestine and shot video. Mm -hmm. So we get to see the landscape uh, intermixed as these words are, are delivered. Of course, our faith has been shared orally for centuries. What does it mean to you to be part of this great oral tradition of sharing the Word of God? Oh, it's such a gift because, as you say, it's kind of it, it's, it's done now. Uh, you know, there are handfuls of people that go around the country doing biblical work like this. But it seems new, but it's, as you mm -hmm. say, very old. Before we read, uh, we heard. And so these stories were first told this way. And those interested in learning more about your ministry can contact you through your website, www.gospelofjohn.com. Great. Well, your message today is based on Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. What's the historical context for this passage? 
the Jewish people have returned from exile and captivity in, in Babylon, and this uh, return has happened in stages. So the people are back in Jerusalem, and, and, and the, uh, the temple has been rebuilt, although not to its former glory, and the walls are being rebuilt. There's dissension from outside and from within, and the people gather, they almost demand to hear the word. They want to hear this revelation that Moses had spoken. And because of what they've been through, it's in a new context mm. for them. They're hearing it afresh, which is kind of also the, the point of my work, is to, that these texts need to be examined in a fresh way for our time and for our lives. Mm -hmm. Would you read it for us? Yes. This is Nehemiah 8. Verses 1 through 3. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the revelation of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the book before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, and the ears of all the people were attentive. So the people of Israel listened attentively as Ezra read for six hours. Should we take that literally? I think we must. I think we should start with six minutes <laughs> and then go to uh, 60 times six. I think we need to listen with attention. Uh, so many times, so many of these texts we hear coming at us uh, from the pulpit every every Sunday. We know. Some of them we don't know, but we know them so well we have kind of flattened them out. They have lost their life. And that to me is kind of uh, a shame because they are alive. So I think we have to constantly open our ears anew and our hearts to engage, to confront these texts. Well, we look forward to learning more about this in your message today. It's entitled, Break In at the Watergate. Brad, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Questions most frequently asked of any stage actor is, how do you remember all of those lines? This is especially true with me, given that the script I've memorized and perform is the entire Gospel of John, word for word. Following a performance of John's Gospel in Chicago a few years ago, I was approached by a somewhat speechless fireman. He grabbed hold of my arm and stared at me. Finally, he asked the question, how did you do that? How do you remember all of those words? I embraced him and replied, what are you talking about? How do you run into a burning building when everyone else is running out? My point was that God has most graciously given each and every one of us our own unique gifts. One of mine happens to be the ability to memorize large amounts of scripture and then perform them in churches and theaters throughout the country. I always hesitate to use the word perform or performance in describing what I do because I feel that my work is more accurately a proclamation of God's word. But if you were to tell people, even people of faith, 
to come and hear a proclamation, nobody would show up. I performed the Gospel of John just over 600 times in the past 12 years. The performance, which includes a 15-minute intermission, lasts about two and a half hours. This means I've spent roughly 81,000 minutes or almost two months of my life standing in front of gathered communities and proclaiming God's word. Perhaps you can see why I might have a modest affinity for Ezra the scribe in today's text. For it is Ezra who stands on an elevated wooden platform, a stage, if you will, and from dawn until noon, and with a little help from his friends, the Levites, proclaims the book of the revelation of Moses to an attentive and emotionally moved crowd. The word of the Lord, as it is apt to do, works on them. There have been times, of course, during my performances when my memory has failed me. I've been sick, jet-lagged, briefly distracted by something, and my mind has gone blank. I've learned over the years not to panic when this happens. Even with all eyes and ears focused on me, it's not about me. It's about those words. And those words being proclaimed in an exciting, clear, and accessible way. So when I can't remember, I simply walk over to a copy of the Bible that I keep nearby, find my place in the gospel, and then continue speaking. Returning to the book restores my memory. I think a people's return to the book and a restoration of memory lie at the heart of this text from Nehemiah. The long Babylonian captivity is over, and the exiled Jews have finally returned home to Jerusalem. The temple and the walls of the city have been rebuilt, and Ezra the scribe steps forth before the gathered community to restore and reestablish the Torah once again in the hearts and minds of his people. It seems that for many of the returning exiles and for many of those who had remained at home, the oral hearing of the book had been set aside. The psalmist laments, how should we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Well, not easily, and only with great intention. Exile can't help but change us, no matter how hard we try to hold on to where we came from or hold on to what makes us who we are. In exile, many of us adapt. We adapt to new customs, to new economic and political realities. We may even find that essential practices of our faith are neglected or put aside. And so we gather. The shofar trumpets and calls us forth. Dawn breaks on the horizon. It is the first day of the year, a day of remembrance, a day of looking ahead, a day of renewal. We gather as one in unity, men, women, and children, we gather in the square before the water gate, just opposite the temple. It is the water gate because it is here that fresh flowing water, living water, from an underground stream is brought in for use at the temple. We gather because we're thirsty for the word. We desire to hear it, to bathe and cleanse ourselves in it. Ezra's handed the scroll. He unrolls it, and we stand out of respect. Ezra blesses the Lord, and we cry out, Amen, Amen. We lift up our hands, bow our heads, and with our faces to the ground, we worship the Lord. Then Ezra, with interpretation, begins reading from the scroll. Our ears are attentive, our hearts are open, and the words of the Lord flow over us like streaming water. And with the help of Ezra and the Levites, we understand the reading. And then we weep. We weep at the water gate, tears streaming down our faces. We weep. We weep because on hearing the word, our collective sins, our individual sins, 
are brought to our remembrance and were filled with remorse. Our catastrophe, our captivity and exile came about because of our sins. We broke our covenant with the Lord. We exalted in our own power, our own wisdom, our own wealth. We did not exalt in the love, justice, and righteousness of the Lord. We also weep because on hearing these words, we remember the Lord's impeccable love for us. Then we're told, do not weep, do not mourn. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Go your way. Eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so there's great rejoicing. It is a feast day after all, and the people have feasted on the word. This bounty of the Lord requires that they too be bountiful, and so the people's hearts are drawn to the poor, to those who have nothing prepared. They share their food, share their wine, and as one, they celebrate. As modern communities of faith with modern challenged attention spans, we're sadly unaccustomed to gathering together for extended periods of time for the sole purpose of hearing God's word. We think, how boring, how dull. Perhaps it's hard for us to believe that this event in Jerusalem even happened that people gathered and listened for six straight hours to a scroll being read. But I believe it happened. They were thirsty for a challenging, healing word. Occasionally I've been asked by churches who are interested in hosting a performance of the Gospel of John, is it really two and a half hours? Well, yes, I tell them. It's the entire Gospel. They ask, is there any way you can shorten it? I don't think our people can handle two and a half hours. Such a response is disheartening. I often feel like saying, I bet they can handle two and a half hours of college football or reality television. Such a disheartening response assumes that the active, quickening word of God isn't powerful enough to hold our attention or transform our lives. We know this simply isn't true. Time and again throughout my ministry, I've seen children of five or six sit wrapped and engaged for two and a half hours. I've had parents come up to me afterwards and say, I've never seen my child sit that still for anything. So yes, even for children, the living word has the power to captivate. One little girl after those two and a half hours told her mother, why can't church be like that? And all she had done was listen to God's word. Now such responses aren't about me. Trust me, there's nothing particularly fascinating about me. Such responses are about the power of God's word the power of God's revelation, the power of God's spirit at work in our lives. In responding to the crisis of biblical illiteracy within the church, researcher George Barna stated, quote, there's shockingly little growth evident in people's understanding of the fundamental themes of the scriptures and amazingly little interest in deepening their knowledge and application of biblical principles. The problem facing the Christian church is not that people lack a complete set of beliefs, the problem is, is that they have a full slate of beliefs in mind, which they think are consistent with biblical teachings, and they're neither open to being proven wrong nor to learning new insights. End quote. According to the sad statistics, it would seem that many of us indeed live in exile, exile from the word. So let us, with intention, return home and gather where the water flows at the water gate, 
Let us bathe ourselves in the word, allowing this library of diverse voices to comfort and heal us, to radically challenge and transform our lives. Let us be attentive to these texts. Let us also, without fear, ask ourselves some hard questions about them. Let us also, with great humility and with the knowledge of our own fallibility, realize that while these words are eternal, many of our conclusions and certitudes about them are not. Each new generation interprets the word for their own particular time, place, and experience. The word is a living thing, and it will live well beyond our lives. The word is a stream which moves, not a stream stagnant and frozen in place. Our understanding of the word, our interpretation of it, is not the final say. These texts will not be tied down, even by us. To believe so is arrogance and an insult to the spirit of God's revelation. Whether in private contemplation, in group Bible studies, or during our communal worship hour, let us locate ourselves in God's liberating, redemptive narrative, for indeed we are to be found there. And when our reading, studying, and listening are done, let us embody the word. Let us embody God's impeccable love to the world. People often ask me, do you have any tips on memorizing scripture? I tell them, there's no secret trick to it. Just take the text word by word, line by line. I tell them, repetition, repetition. I tell them, you can't imagine how this discipline will enrich your faith. So let's start our memorization, our remembering, with a short passage. It's only 51 words. We can handle that. After all, most of us know the first verse of the Star-Spangled Banner, and that has 81 words. We boldly sing those 81 words, covering our hearts with our hands, so 51 words should be no problem. Let's start where Jesus started. For Jesus, like Ezra of old, was also handed a scroll. He unrolled it, found his place in the text, and then, quoting the poetry of the prophet Isaiah, Jesus boldly proclaimed his manifesto to an aching world. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when we memorize this text, let us welcome each new day by covering our hearts with our hands and boldly giving these 51 words our voice and utterance. When we've given these words, our memories, our hearts, and our voices, we will stand a better chance of embodying them to the world. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, we seek your face. We seek your guiding hand. In this week of Thanksgiving, we give thanks for your presence in our lives. We give thanks for your word and ask that you write your word on our hearts. We give thanks for our neighbors here and throughout your world. Oh God, give us the courage to love our neighbors. For in loving them, we're loving you. Amen.
Cheryl offers some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace. Brad, you read from us from Nehemiah chapter 8, which concludes, And the ears of all the people were attentive. You are a share of the Word of God through your performances, but how might people who hear prepare themselves to be more attentive listeners, and, and what might happen to them if they do? I think they can prepare by saying, this is the last word from God that I'm ever going to hear. Hmm. I often think that when we say our confessions and our creeds and our Lord's Prayer, what would it be like if Jesus is standing right next to us, which of course he is. But I think that this is the last word, so I'm going to open my heart and my ears to it, my eyes to it, and I'm going to seek for it to confront me, to heal me, to challenge me, so that I may live it out in the world. And as the people of Israel gathered at the water gate, hearing the word of God, they began to weep and mourn for their sins, you told us. But Ezra tells them to rejoice and celebrate. What does this tell us about our relationship with God? That we're Sunday people, that we are, that the tomb is empty, uh, that God is on the move and active and an agent in our lives for hope and joy and for fulfillment and reconciliation. And so we confess, we repent, but we don't keep looking back. We're looking ahead. And so I think it's a great tag on, on that text that the people do rejoice and, and share what they have. You said the Word of God is a living thing, a stream that moves, and so our understanding or interpretation is not the final say. Would you say more about how that understanding of God's Word can affect our lives? I think if we've settled on stuff, that's where we are, mm-hmm. and, and what's going to take us further. My journey of faith, as so many others, is a day-to-day thing, um, and so if I've decided on something, I'm so so sure of it, then the conversation has stopped. And God has not stopped. God is uh, moving through these texts. It also allows for a great part of our, our, our faith, which is mystery. Hmm. It allows God to uh, be mysterious sometimes, you know? So I, I just don't think we should tie the text down, uh, uh, you know, like we do sometimes. And you encouraged us to find ourselves in God's liberating, redemptive narrative and to embody the word in our world. What should that look like? Well, I think it would look a lot like, if we did, it would would look a lot like the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, on our best days, on our medium days, and on our bad days, we're in the story. You know, I've learned this doing the Gospel of John all those times. I I am everybody on any given day in that story. And so if I can locate myself and be honest about that, then I can either uh, change some things that I'm doing or I can become more merciful and compassionate. So I just say find yourself in the text somewhere because you're there. Mm-hmm. Brad, what's one thing from your message today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this Thanksgiving week? That uh, just as the uh, people of Israel of old they're hearing good news, and I want us to embody the good news, and that there is good news there, even when there doesn't seem to be any good news. We have uh, good news. Brad Cheryl, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. 
Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. With a special word, here's the president of the Alliance for Christian Media and Day One host, Peter Wallace. Day One is the only national platform for the positive, passionate faith of the mainline churches. And we are reaching hundreds of thousands of people around the world via radio, the Internet, and today's social media. Day One is your voice. We proclaim your faith. But we need your support to continue. If you appreciate Day One please consider supporting us. Send a donation to Day One, 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia, 30308. That's 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia, 30308. Or give online at dayone.org. We are grateful for your support.
You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thank you. 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata. We all admit there are people who can really get on our nerves, but what about when it goes beyond that? My friend Steve once told me he couldn't stand his co-worker. Apparently the man never included Steve in any important meetings and would often give him condescending looks. Steve even got to the point of saying, I can understand why people murder. Yikes, and Steve said that being a Christian. It's clear his emotions were being controlled by this other man and his pride rather than being controlled by the Spirit. And it's why Psalm 37 warns us, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. It tends only to evil. So please, from the next time you feel your temper building, don't let it have control. When anger takes control, it only leads to evil. Instead, turn your anger Godward. Those people getting on your nerves need to see Jesus to your humble response. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Uh, yeah! Well, stop dreaming and start chopping with the karate glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the karate glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The karate glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood. Hi-ya! Concrete. Hi-ya! Brick walls. Hi-ya! Trees. Small cars. It can even chomp through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high on time! This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Hi, this is Donnie McClurkin, and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial. But the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable, us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, as having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. The blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him. Come to the Savior tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself to And you too will enter into that joy of sins again. Peace with God and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation?
Let's go do for yours truly until tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Nation Talk. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at church near you.